Well, we are thrilled to welcome all of our listeners back once again to the Christian Apostolic Center podcast. This is a podcast in a local church that are committed to being disciples who make other disciples. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your show host, Alex Spooner, and today we're going to be talking about the most used phrase by Jesus in all the New Testament. It's only two words. Can you think of it? Can you guess it? Also, we're going to end tonight with a story of some lessons learned from a man in a red bandana. If you're familiar with anything concerning 9-11 and a hero in the World Trade Center, you've probably heard a little bit about this story. We're going to talk about it just a little bit tonight. So, as always, get out your Bibles, some notes, a pen, stay tuned, and listen in. We're going. Well, good evening to everybody tuning in here to the podcast once again here at CAC. Uh, so happy and thrilled for everybody that chose to take some time out of their evening and uh, break open the Word of God, the Bread of Life tonight. Um, we're going to have some good conversation, some good topic. Uh, first and foremost, as always, wanted to let everybody know that is watching live on Facebook tonight. If you could share this post, um, obviously throughout the material tonight, make comments, uh, you know, share, like. Obviously, always appreciate the comments you guys read. It's super awesome to go back and read those. Not able to look at them live tonight, but to go back and read those, it's really awesome. And I know other people watching um, appreciate the comments as well. If you are happening to be listening on our podcast, uh, thank you so much. We did eclipse 3,000 downloads all time already. Uh, Really awesome. Uh, 10 plus countries. So really good numbers there. We appreciate all the faithful listeners that download each and every week. We'll have a few more, um, actually a couple ep- extra episodes dropping um, this week in the next uh, well, a few hours, actually. So looking forward to that. So appreciate um, everyone that's continuing to download. Please do that. Like, um, share, download it, subscribe, all that good stuff. You know what I say it every week. Um, so thank you so much for all those who are doing that. Tonight, what we're going to be talking about is... The most used phrase by Jesus in all the New Testament. Um, kind of interesting uh, question, kind of interesting to think about it. I actually asked our young adults this in our Sunday school class this past Sunday, um, and I got some cool answers. Um, the, the closest one, or one I didn't think of, was follow me. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, not not the answer, but that is something Jesus says a lot throughout the New Testament. And also, I got this tonight. It's a red bandana, and we are obviously really close, um, just a couple days removed from 9-11, and so there's kind of a story that I'm going to share. Many, some may have already heard this story, but I'm going to kind of tie this red bandana in with what we're going to talk about tonight, what Jesus said most often in the New Testament. So, um, looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us tonight. I think that the words of Jesus... They're not only the bread of life. It, 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 his words cross every generational line, every cultural line. It's truth for everybody. No matter if Republic of Germany, that's a popular place we have, download our podcast. Uh, the word of God is the same for you as it is for me here in Flint, Michigan. And Jesus' words, his disciples hung on every word. And we see that in a perfect example with Peter when, you know, he's, Jesus is kind of like, well, you're going to leave me too. And he says, Lord, only you have these words that are going to eternally mark us and save us. And so when you begin to think about what Jesus said most often, what would it be? I encourage anybody just for some fun, just start typing in the comments. What do you think 
What do you think the most common phrase Jesus used throughout the New Testament in his for the four Gospels and his uh, thirty three and a half years uh, as as a man, three and a half years of ministry? What did he tell his disciples most? Um, Pastor uh, said, Mister Producer um, is saying, "I am." Um, that's a guess right there. I don't know. Again, I can't see what the comments are, but I, um, go ahead and put it in there. I am. That's definitely. Um, did you read my notes, Pastor? No, I'm kidding. Um, that's a. That's a. That's one right there. I'll give. A, I'll wait a couple more seconds to let everybody guess because I, I really do want you to guess. I want you to think about it. I know we have a church full of people that read their Bibles a lot, um, that study the Word, are students of the Word, are good stewards of the Word also. So it's kind of interesting. I didn't know the answer until I read it until I came across it, the most common used phrase of Jesus. I will give you a hint. It is two words, um, as we've already had a guess, I am, by Mr. Producer here. Um, I am. It's a two-word phrase. I'm sure that's sufficient time for everybody to probably go ahead and uh, guess in there. The answer is... Fear not. That is what Jesus tells his disciples more than anything else. Now, that's a pretty remarkable thing to say. If you were going to, if you had, if you had one thing to tell somebody, one phrase, something that you just hammered home, you know, one of my managers, um, or excuse me, a man that I listen to a devotion every morning. He, when he drops his daughter off at school, he tells her, "Be awesome," um, and that, that that's his phrase. That's what he tells her every day. That's the, probably one of the things she hears most from her father is "Be awesome" every day. I'm not sure why, but that's what he chooses. So think of you know the time, the limited time, by the way, that Jesus has to spend with his disciples. He knows even when they aren't comprehending it, that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to, he's going to be buried, he's going to rise after three days, he's going to be with them for a time, but then he's, he's going to leave. Um, now he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but I'm going to leave, and, and then I'll, I'll return one day, uh, the second coming of the Lord, but he's going to leave, and he knows that. He knows his time is short. Every moment he gets to spend with them alone, to teach them, to minister to them, he, he takes them aside, and he teaches them and explains the parables and, and goes into more depth than he does with the other people, um, the 5,000 and all the other disciples, the Bible calls them, that followed him for a temporary um, time. And then from though, from there, he, he takes a smaller group, and sometimes it's four, and then sometimes it's three with James, John, and Peter. Andrew sometimes is thrown in the mix there, but he gets those three, and he, he shows them even more things that uh, he, didn't, he didn't show the others. And so you think about the time, the limited time Jesus had, and he chose fear not to be the thing that he said the most. I don't believe that's accidental. Uh, Pastor Raymond Woodward has a wonderful saying that I like to quote, there's nothing accidental or there's nothing incidental in your Bible. Everything is there for a purpose. Everything is there for a plan. It has been um, written, preserved for our admonition. It has been uh, written, spoken by, by God and Jesus in the New Testament for a specific reason. And so that's what he says the most, fear not. Now, fear is, in the most basic sense of the definition, um, I have it written down here, just as simple as, simple as I, could, I could make it, it is anxiety over an outcome, an outcome that is uh, obviously undesirable. Um, 
but it's just anxiety over something that could occur. And fear, we have seen more so than any other time in my lifetime, and I'm sure in many lifetimes, what fear can really do not only to a small group of people but to the entire world. What fear can do. It's a powerful agent, and may I add, it's a an agent that our adversary, the devil, uses and will use. Pastor spoke at length on Monday evening about um, the devil and a, a lot of his different tools and how he will feast at the uh, a table of carnality when we begin to leave our, our really our first love, when we begin to focus on the wrong things. We don't keep the main thing the main thing, and, and what an awesome lesson that was. And I'm, I'm, I can say this, that a huge reason why people can get off this the straight and narrow path of Jesus Christ following, living for him, is they get afraid. They're fearful. We see multiple times, obviously, where Jesus' disciples are afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid for their lives. They're afraid for their well-being. They're afraid for many things. And so Jesus admonishes them, and I believe we need to pick up on the same admonition today, is to fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, I already know what some of you probably are thinking. You may not be saying it in the chat, but okay, that's easier said than done. And I will agree with you. It's easy just to tell somebody, a brother or sister, pat them on the back or send them a Facebook message. Hey, don't be afraid. God's got your back or something like that. And that's good. The encouragement is, is helpful. But but there's a little bit more to it than that. Is there something I can do? Is there something that the Bible says? Is there is there something that I can take a hold of, a routine? Is there is there a certain set of scriptures? Is there something more that Jesus said other than fear not? Of course there is. Jesus didn't just simply say fear not. He then explained why you shouldn't fear. He exemplified why there shouldn't why you shouldn't fear. He gave us a formula. And that's really why I want to I want to kind of break down tonight is just a kind of a three principle formula of faith over fear faith over fear because you it's important to realize that faith is the complete opposite of fear um fear again is the anxiety over a particular outcome that seems undesirable faith is i'm completely trusting that the outcome is going to be okay now that's why it's important who we put our faith in um People that put their faith in Bertie Madoff didn't have the greatest of outcomes. Now, it's a little, probably a little bit before my time, Mr. Producer, but um, the point stands true. Well, who we put our faith in doesn't matter. And so faith over fear formula, um, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. And then we're going to get into this, the man with the red bandana. It is my, I, I told Mr. Producer we're going to be a little bit shorter tonight, so I'm going to try and stick by that um, right now. So what does the Bible say? What does it say about this Fear and faith, because we know Jesus says fear not a bunch of times. But what else does he say about it? First thing we need to understand, point number one, and as always, if you, if you have a pen, paper, or some kind of notes, write this down. Uh, that way you can think upon it, you can meditate on it. Maybe there's some things, some sub-points you can add to it. Maybe the Lord's going to open up your understanding that that's usually how it works. Um, you know, Other people will teach great things, and then the Lord will kind of um, apply that particularly to my life, maybe different differently than maybe someone else's life. So um, these are some rough draft points, but I really think this outlines a three-step principle, three principles of faith over fear. The first thing we really need to understand is authority, okay? Faith is really rooted in authority. Whose authority? God's authority. If you begin to look at all the instances where Jesus tells 
his disciples to fear not. One of the main reasons, the main reason that Jesus tells them not to fear and the same reason we ought not fear today because the God that we serve and the spirit that is inside of us has all authority. He has the authority, not just over you know sicknesses, disease, particular things. He has the complete authority over the outcome of your particular life. We believe in a personal God, not just an infinite being that just kind of sneezed and everything happened, and then he, he just kind of turned his back, and he's out creating another world, and whatever happens, happens to your little life. Uh, I know if you've ever done stargazing, I was recently up in Oregon, uh, at one of the, the tallest points in Oregon, and, and several thousand feet up in the middle of, of, of black of night, I was at Crater Lake National Park. It's the deepest lake uh, in all of the United States. It was made by a volcano, and I'm, I'm up on the top of these volcano, volcano areas. It's, it's as dark as it can get, and I'm stargazing. I'm looking at the stars, the constellations, and, and I'm looking at the galaxy, the Milky Way, and I'm checking my 2020 vision. You know, if you can see that little extra star in the second or third Big Dipper handle and all that good stuff, and it makes you feel really small. Um, and, and we are, obviously. There's so much out there, the galaxies and, and black holes, and it's, it's unbelievable, the magnificent of our God. But I don't feel more insignificant whenever I see those things, when I see the galaxy, when I see how great and large the universe really is. That makes me feel even more important to know that there is an almighty, all-powerful God that not only knows me, the Bible says, knows the hairs on your head, but he came down in a, in a body of flesh to die for me and for you while I was a wretched, sinful man. So how much worth and value that you have. And that God, that personal, infinite God who manifests himself in the person of Jesus Christ, he has all authority over your outcome, over your situation. One, the first key to turning fear into faith is knowing my God has the authority over whatever I'm fearing. Whether it's the sea and there's rain, there's winds, there's storms, and the disciples are just, they're fearful for their life. And Jesus gets up and he says, why are you fearing? Don't you know that I have authority to speak to this storm? And, this, and it's calm completely. Don't you know, you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about the clothes. You don't have, you don't have, I have authority. I own the cattle. Pastor loves to quote this. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. The gold, the silver is mine. You don't have to fear because one, your God has authority over whatever situation, whatever force is causing you anxiety over an outcome. An outcome, remember, that's fear. That's the most basic definition of fear. Anxiety over an outcome. Don't forget, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. And he has authority. So that's the first thing. You begin to pray about having uh, faith over fear, turning your fear into faith. Pray one, Lord, give me a, revel a revelation, a fresh revelation of your authority, that you're in control. And not only that, but he's given you some authority that we can exercise according to his will and according to his word. So that's important. So number one, first principle there is uh, uh, fear into faith, authority. Number two, it's the word of God. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen, and I should have had Pastor get this right here. Romans ten seventeen. I know a lot of people probably uh, can quote this, but let me go ahead and read it because I think it's important. Romans ten seventeen um, says this: So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith. So if we're looking to turn fear into faith. After we understand authority, um, 
we secondly need to understand the importance of the Word of God because faith only comes through the hearing of the Word of God, the Bible says. That's why it's important that we, we feast on the bread of life. That's why it's important that each and every day you open up this book. You open up the bread of life and you begin to read it. You begin to meditate on it. You begin to study it. Do some devotions. No matter what happens, no matter how busy the schedule looks, set up some kind of plan, some kind of discipline and diligence to be able to get some bread of life every day to feed your soul and to feed faith. Because if you're not if you're not hearing, if you're not getting the word of God, if you're not hearing it preached or ministered or taught, and if you yourself are not reading it, your faith is... Your, your your faith tank, if it was like a gas tank, it's going to start running low and low and low because the source that feeds your your faith, the Bible says in 1017, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. If you're not hearing the word of the Lord, your faith is going to begin to, to grow smaller in that fear, the anxiety. We know that the world is always pushing fear. Again, I'm, I don't have to reference it. The state that we're in, fear is the biggest uh, uh, component to what's being pushed now, what's, be, what's happening now. Uh, fear is what can make you so complete opposites of your neighbor and how they feel about from from masks to vaccines to all kinds of things. It's just fear. That's the dividing line is fear. Someone fears and someone someone else doesn't. And that's why it's important when you're consistently bombarded with people and a world system that's set up that's driven by fear, fear of not having enough money, a fear of not ha- having enough stuff, material for materialism, fear of being rejected, fear of not having enough friends or likes on Instagram, Facebook, all, so many things. So if you're if you're living in an environment and you can't avoid it, by the way, we're in the world, we're not of it, but we're still in it. We're we're walking through it, through this muck and mire and junk and filth. Um, it, it, you know, by the grace of God, through prayer and through the Word, it's not going to stick on us. But you got to hear the word for your faith to grow stronger. So fear into faith, point number two, after we understand authority, point number one, point number two is the word of God. Romans 10, 17, write that down. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Uh, point number three in these kind of the, these steps of fear into faith is perfect love. Love. There's another verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says this. There is no fear in love. Think about that. I encourage you to study this verse and really break it down. I, I'm not going to have the time or the resources to kind of do it tonight, but I really encourage you. That this is something that is um, it's compelling to be able to understand because this will completely, uh, I believe, push aside your previous definition of love and really help you to, in, a, in a deeper, greater way because uh, such a statement that there is no fear in love in and of itself. Just meditate on that, pray on that, um, because that's a powerful thing. We all intend to love. We have families and friends that we, you know, we tell each other we love each other, and that is true. But this this love that is referred to in First John four eighteen, um, it says, "Perfect love, but perfect love casteth out fear." Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so that, that's, a, that's a good indicator that um, when, we, when we begin to fear, when we, we, when we begin to have anxiety over a, a possible outcome um, that obviously appears undesirable, appears unwelcoming, that kind of gives us a, a reality check and a self-check on where, our, where we stand out with our love, where, where, where our heart really is what we're committed to, what moves us, what bothers us, what makes us sweat, what makes us stay up at night, 
what makes us talk and speak about these fears and anxieties that that we have because i tell you what i i also ask this in the young adult classroom who is a um not a pessimist but i mean who who is who is expects the worst um who just expects that the worst is going to happen um that you know what if 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 i I have a flight i just know they're all going to get delayed i'm going to miss a flight I, I mean, I was thinking that on the way home. I'm in Oregon, and I, you know, I got to get home. Um, got to got to work. We got to be back for Sunday, and I'm just thinking, man, we got three connecting flights. The percentages of one of these flights getting delayed and me missing the next flight is probably super high. So I'm already like in my mind mapping out what hotel is closest to this airport and which hotel if we happen to make it to the second airport because I know we're going to stay over because I'm probably going to miss a flight because it's delayed because some someone's dog didn't make the flight, whatever it might be. I'm like that. Uh, I, um, I, I used to, I used to call it preparation, but really, I'm, I'm, I was fearing. I had anxiety over a particular outcome that was possible that I thought was undesirable. And so, love is that third principle, that third point in the fear to faith formula that we kind of see throughout Scripture. And just know this that. Sometimes when you begin to go pray and you begin to seek the Lord about these things, you might get to point number one, and boy, the Lord just kind of touches your heart about authority, and that's all you're going to need to turn that that fear situation into faith, and you can move on. But just know that these are kind of these are the three points that Jesus and the and uh, the New Testament writers these are the points that they bring up about about fear and faith, fear and faith. So just so I'm, I don't want to belabor it, but one authority. Understand who has authority over that fearful situation. Two, make sure that you're in the word of God because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And three, perfect love casteth out all fear. Where's your love? Where's your heart at? Um, and remember also, obviously, Second Timothy says this, for he hath not given us a spirit of fear. That's one thing that you can go ahead and you can eliminate. If you're asking, is this God in a situation? Are you fearful about it? And I'm not talking about a godly fear. I'm, I'm talking about a fear, an anxiety, a complete worry that, that you cannot control. It It makes you cry, sweat, shake, makes you takes your sleep away. We know that God didn't give us that spirit. That is not of God. So you can already determine, Lord, I, I, can, I can take this to you in prayer and I can surrender it to you because I know it's not of you. I know that's not the spirit you're giving me because you've given me authority over the all the powers that be and in, in, that are at work in our world. And so um, that's really important. Another couple of verses that I kind of want to end with tonight before I end with this story right here. Psalms 91, an incredible, uh, I encourage you to please read Psalms 91. It's awesome. It will encourage you. Uh, I believe it will touch your heart. But Psalms 91, just an encouragement to me, starting at verse 14, it says this. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not... Oh, excuse me, that is not, that is not, that's Romans 10. Let me go back to, I, I changed this up here. Psalms 91, that is not it. Psalms 91, verse 14, here we are. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. Psalms 91, that's verse 14 and 15 right there, but an incredible portion of scripture to read the entire chapter. 
So, um, fear over faith, or excuse me, faith over fear, turning fear into faith. Those three points really important. Um, I encourage you to kind of, if you, you write them down, pray about them, write some notes about them, meditate on it throughout this week. Um, I asked multiple people uh, this past Sunday where they were at, or if they remember where they're at during 9 11. And obviously, it's something that touches all of us. I don't particularly remember um, what it was like not going through a TSA checkout when I wanted to fly. Uh, I, I know people that are older than me um, and have a lot of experience with that. You know, they tell me how different it was. And that that day is something obviously that that touches all of us in unique ways. But it, it's it's a, a sorrowful day. And but there is there is a, a story that we can glean. And it's from this guy. It's a, it's from this guy about this guy with a red bandana. And I actually had first heard about this man, who um, who was a hero in, in every sense of the word, as far as on uh, as far as uh, human humans on Earth are concerned. Uh, I heard it by uh, Pastor Brother Pastor Anthony Megan. He preached a sermon one time several years ago about the man with in the red bandana. And I had no idea who he was, but he began to tell the story. And this past year during 9-11, I used to reflect a little bit on what happened. And I came across this story again. It's been several years since I heard this sermon. And so when I heard this story come up again about the man, the red bandana, because it's very popular. I I'm, I'm very well could be speaking to multiple people that already know this story very well. Um, so I won't give all the details. But once I heard, I seen this again, I, I, I dove into the story a little bit more. I got some more details. I did some research on it because I want to know more. But... The gist of the story is is when the first plane hit, multiple people uh, obviously killed immediately, and uh, there are many eyewitness uh, witnesses. You can watch interviews about the people that this man saved, and they talked about um, the the strength and the courage in his voice as he began to lead people who were disoriented, were pretty much laying there knowing without a doubt, fearing without a doubt that they're going to die. And he just, he, he took charge. He, he, he had a, he had a plan. He led them to a stairway, which uh, led them down several flights of stairs. They were on the, around the 143rd floor and he led them down halfway down the building until, uh, to where firefighters were. And but what's incredible is that what he did next is he ripped out this red bandana to which to which he had had, and I'll get into that in one minute. He had it in his back pocket, and he put it over his face, and he just yelled back without any hesitation, I'm going back, there's more people. Now, obviously, we know there's more people in the World Trade Center. There's thousands of people that worked in that building. But he goes back up, and there is a lady that he saved from the second group of people that he went back up. And similar situation, he finds the stairwell for them, leads them to it, leads them down to firefighters, and once again, with the red bandana over his nose and over his mouth, trying to guard from any smoke that he could, he runs back up the stairs shouting, there's more people, I'm going back for more. Um, we know that he ended up saving 12 people, um, officially, he saved 12 people's lives. He himself, after, I don't know if it was the third or fourth trip back up, the towers did collapse, and this man died. He, he passed away, saving other people. But what I find encouraging is not only his courage that he had, um, but the desire, the love. It, it's almost supernatural. To my knowledge, he didn't have the Holy Ghost. I'm sure he was a Christian. I'm not sure how you could care about someone else's life 
um, that much to the point where you lose your own and you're not a Christian. I, I don't know any information about his belief or religious affiliations or his spirituality, anything like that. But I find it incredible, the selflessness. And it takes it took me back to a verse of Scripture I was reading in my devotion where Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, um, the disciples are, they're thinking that he is going to build the earthly kingdom. It, it says in 11, it says, um, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And Jesus kind of breaks this to them in such a powerful verse that we all know it says, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his purpose. That was Jesus's purpose. And that was his mission all along. And I, I must declare to you today, it's still his mission today. But what's important is the way he accomplishes that is through me and you. Um, for we are the spiritual and the literal body of Christ still he- here on earth. We are to walk as he walked, John, First John says. Um, we are to do these things in greater as he gives us authority over sickness and diseases and different things like that. But we are to make disciples, he says in Matthew 28, 19. And so... This man overcomes fear. I don't know how much fear he had. I don't even. It doesn't even seem like there was an ounce of fear based off of <laughs> all the accounts that I read. There was no hesitation. His first trip down, he didn't seem to stop at all and say or contemplate. Ask the professional firefighters who are also risking their lives, but they're professional. Uh, didn't ask them. Do you think it's a good idea if I do? He just he ran back up there without any hesitation with this red bandana. And I, I just want to say this, the red bandana that he had in his pocket, it wasn't the first time he carried it to work. It wasn't by happenstance that he had it on him. He carried it every day from when he was a child. His father gave it to him when he was a young, young boy, and he carried it with him every day. Now, what I want to what I want to use there is that this is just a symbol. I keep it in my Bible. Um, I used to have one. Um, from the sermon that I heard. Uh, unfortunately, my Bible was taken um, several years ago. It was stolen out of a vehicle, um, but so I lost the red bandana. So I got another one, but I like to keep my Bible as a reminder um, that this young man, he only used it one time in a heroic act, but he had it with him all the time. He was he, he was ready. It was almost as if he was preparing for a, a, for a moment, a time where he could absolutely serve Serve people, serve somebody else. And I, I, I use it as a reminder that every day I want to be preparing and make sure that the mission I am living out is to seek and to save that which is lost. We have a world that's lost in fear. We have a world that's lost and dying on their way to a, to a devil's hell. A hell, by the way, that the Lord never created for people. He created it for the devil and his angels. He's not willing that any should perish. It was never intended. Hell was never intended for people, for me and you. We're not invited there. But unfortunately, many people are on their way there because they're just lost and they're they're confused and they need the light. They need the light of the world. They need the gospel. And they need somebody that has a red bandana, somebody that has the word of God, somebody that has the truth, somebody that has the light to have enough courage to go and deliver to them the message they need to hear. 
That's why it's so important that you turn fear into faith. Because if you turn your own fear into faith, you're going to have courage and confidence and you're going to have a boldness in the spirit like they had in the early book of Acts church. And you're not going to worry about what people think. You're not going to worry about possible persecution. You're not going to worry about um, about what may happen to you. If you share that the gospel at work, if you happen to give somebody Bible study, you won't fear rejection. You're not going to worry about that. You're much more uh, applicable to, to deliver the gospel with courage and boldness, once you overcome fear with faith. And that's what we have to do to seek and to save that which is lost. That's Jesus Christ's mission back then. It's still his mission today. And I want to encourage you, um, man, as, as a reminder for me, the red bandana, have courage, have faith, be preparing. Be ready now. You, you might not teach a Bible study now, but be, make sure you're studied up, you're prayed up. Make sure that, that you're in the Word and you're ready to deliver that gospel message. You're ready to deliver the saving faith that's in the Word of God with confidence and a boldness. We can't do that with fear. We can't, we can't do that with fear in our heart, with fear in our life. So first, we've got to overcome that with faith. And that's why those three principles are so important. Authority, the Word, and love. Once we get that, we can we can have this. We can have our sword. We can have our shield. We can have the tools in our workman's belt. That when the moment comes, the opportunity came for him to save a life. He was ready. He had the bandana on him. I know that's just a simple symbol. Um, there's no power in this red bandana, but it's a reminder to me. I want to make sure that I'm prepared. When the Lord maybe wants to use you or use me for something, I'm prepared. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. I don't have anxiety about teaching the Bible. I don't have anxiety about bringing somebody to church or inviting them. Um, Fear, uh, faith over fear, turning fear into faith. So thank you so much. I hope you guys were able to glean a couple things from those points that um, we went over tonight. Um, Hopefully it was a few minutes shorter. Um, That was the intention there. And hopefully that story, do some research on the story. It's super awesome. There's documentaries about the survivors that spoke about him it's really, really cool. It's the man, the red bandana. Um, really awesome story. So on behalf of everybody tuning in again, we love you. We thank you so much. On behalf of Mr. Producer, thank you. We'll see you next time. Stay tuned. God bless.